Really True Fiction is a podcast exploring famous stories to discover the wisdoms, lessons, insights, and ideas therein. Be advised that there will be heavy spoilers for whatever story we are discussing in this episode, as well as potential spoilers for other stories. Check episode notes or social media posts for additional spoilers. Please note that this podcast contains so many bad words and so many crude observations. If this is not your jam, please don't bring the toast. fiction in this particular uh episode we'll be talking about south park uh and i'll let our good co-host luke mason introduce south park to us thank you other co-host david parker <laughs> we're co-co-hosts <laughs> the return of the co-hosts <laughs> we are, we're kind of a bit of a menace <laughs> yes so welcome to another episode uh this is going to be uh, if you've listened to any of the episodes, this is, in our minds, this is going to be a little bit of a departure from our more classic style, if such a thing exists, because this, obviously, prior to this, all we've done are movies or books, which have a very strong narrative to them, whereas South Park, as I'm sure all of you know, no one who listens to this podcast doesn't know what South Park is. There's almost a zero... Love it or hate it, you're going to know what it is, probably. There's a zero percent chance of an overlap between not knowing South Park and this. So, you know, it's... Only till recently, the last couple seasons, it's been serialized. Even like every episode relates to every other one. For the vast majority of its run, it's just been piecemeal episode, vignette by vignette. I suppose would be how you would say it. Yeah, and uh, I mean this—it's gone for twenty-two seasons now, so it's older than maybe some of our listeners even. <laughs> wow. <laughs> This is pretty depressing. <laughs> Time just keeps moving on. Yeah. I guess. Well, so for the one person who doesn't know about South Park. It came on air, I believe, in 1996. I think that was the first season, so I would have been nine. You I guys... would have been seven. Yeah. Yeah. So, obviously, <laughs> both with the combination of our ages and the strictures of our parents, there's a 0% chance we got to watch this as <laughs> I, it came out. I, I don't I don't think uh, I would let my children watch it at six, or seven and nine either, no, probably. probably not, but... Maybe, I don't know, I'd say by like maybe around age 12, I'd be, anyway, this doesn't matter. And of course, when I hit my teenage years and South Park was still going strong, and I would say by that point, getting into its money seasons, like to me, seasons probably 6 to 11 are when South Park was really hitting its stride and just pumping out amazing episodes that are considered now the classics. When this podcast was first conceived as an idea... It was so clear to me. I had to do. We had to do South Park right away, because uh, for a show that seems to be about nothing and just crude and stupid, it's one of the smartest pieces of fiction I've ever come across in my life. Yeah, it's uh, and it's intention. One of the things about it is that it take, uses humor to get important lessons across. That I think. Only humor can. In the same way we've talked about narrative going under uh, people's logic and reason and getting to their hearts, I think humor can get around people's ideological barriers and get to their get to their heart as well. Mm-hmm. 
Well, South Park being one of the funniest things that has ever existed. And like, forget just about South Park. Like Matt Stone and Trey Parker, the guys who created the show, are maybe the funniest. Like I could just listen to them for hours. And their movies, Basketball, Team America, Orgasmo, are just so funny. I uh, I went to a, not a showing, I don't know what you call a play in a theater, but uh, I went to a theatrical performance of the Book of Mormon. Oh, yeah, and it was they one wrote. Of, yeah, and they wrote that, and it was one of the funniest things I've ever seen. And actually, one of the things I appreciated about the Mormon church is they actually put a, an advertisement for their for their religion in the pamphlet that you get, like in, in the... Um, the playbill? It, yeah, well, yeah, yeah. In the, and, the... and I think that's a, that's a show of class, because... Obviously, it mocks uh, Mormonism quite hard, but it's it's very funny. And one of the things that both Trey Parker and Matt Stone and Matt Stone do is they is they mock things, but they also show why people believe those things. And I actually love that about them is that while they're mocking things, they're also saying, "Yeah, but there's rationale behind it." Yeah, that's a major theme of their work is satirizing the uh, fringe and extreme ends of the logic of any given. I mean, obviously, they lambast everyone, celebrities, um, political figures, church figures, you name it, they'll go after it. But one of the skills that they do have is inculcating and keeping the baby without thro- while still throwing out the bathwater of any particular thing that they're going after. And with the Mormons, no one ever said they didn't have a sense of humor, I guess, because... You got to know, you get three or four wives. That's just like three or four mothers-in-law, right? <laughs> true, true. <laughs> and so <laughs> no they, one can say they've definitely the Mormons <laughs> don't have a sense of the of ironic. The absurd, of at the least. Absurd, yeah, yeah. So uh, South Park, obviously, I'm not going to do any rundowns of basically anything plot-wise because it's totally irrelevant. And with, I think they're closing in on 300 total episodes throughout their history we obviously didn't watch all every single episode to prepare for this i have in my life seen every south park episode maybe twice every episode some obviously i've seen some episodes probably 20 times but for this specific conversation i can't even count it's about 25 different episodes that i watched so and i tried to make kind of a swath through all the seasons to get as much of the total feel of South Park from its early days to its late days. So we watched from season three, Jubilee and Chin Pokemon. Gotta catch them all, Chin Pokemon! <laughs> from season four, Cherokee Hair ta- Tampons. From season five, Cartman Land. From season six, Simpsons Did It. From season seven, Christian Rock Hard. Uh, from season eight, we watched Good Times with Weapons and Awesome-O. Uh, from season nine, Best Friends Forever, The Losing Edge and Margarine. Uh, from season 10, Go God Go, part one and part two, but even the, they say it's part 12 because they want to like mess with you a little bit. So much has happened, but the two Go God Go episodes. The Imagination Land trilogy from season 11, from season 12, The Breast Cancer Show Ever and Overlogging, from season 13, The Coon, and from season 14, Coon 2, Mysterian Rises, and Coon versus Coon and Friends. And then the only kind of later season episode that we did, because just between you and me, it's not as good as it used to be, but it's still pretty good, is from season 18, we watched Grounded Vindaloop. And those number of episodes consist of about maybe less, about like 3% of the total episodes that exist out there in South Park. 
So even though it took a long time to say, <laughs> it's taking <laughs> a lot longer to watch all the other ones. Yeah, and so we're more going to go into the themes and characters and some of the truths that are trying to be conveyed, since this is really true fiction after all. So <laughs> The fact <laughs> of the matter is, you can understand what South Park is about after about 10 episodes. I guess they have a kind of a formula that they use in most of their episodes, but just the humor and the insights, they so pay off. And I wanted to just kind of give a little thought on this show to me is, what would you say, like a cultural lightning rod for sure. But it's it's kind of like almost a cultural map because when it came out in the mid-90s, by far the group in society that was the most angry at it were the conservatives because at that time a lot of the cultural hegemony was controlled by more conservative types so preachers pastors priests or um more like pundits um censorship came a lot the desire to censor came a lot more from uh, more traditionally right-wing groups because of things like swearing or violence or sex. And so that was a lot of the early... Or sacrilege. Jo- or no. sacrilege, exactly. And so like a lot of the early jokes in South Park are big gay owl. <laughs> like how transgressive that was to have a openly gay character in your show or something. Big gay owl's big gay uh, farm or whatever it was. Uh, or big gay boat ride. And uh, how in the first season there's an episode where all the characters get pink eye. And so Kyle... Um, one of the main characters, Kyle, is killing them with chainsaws because they're zombies. And just like, I remember even being nine years old and in the newspapers and in magazines, there being like an outcry against this horrible violence that our, a cartoon is showing to our children. And oh, and so in the early season, South Park had to really push back against a conservative hegemony, whereas now it's a full cultural undulation where now it's more the progressives and woke types who hate South Park for all of their (laughs) insensitive portrayals of anyone really. (laughs) Well, and I think if you look back at some of the older episodes, they were, they were not shying away from making fun of things that now would be pretty dangerous to make fun of. There's uh, you know, the, the garrison, the t- the teacher who gets a sex change and all the stuff that goes on there. And, and they're not afraid. They, they go after Islam. They go after Christianity. They go after literally, you name it, something powerful they've gone after. Yeah, after 22 seasons, there isn't a group that hasn't been gone after by them. And in that sense, like it almost feels like because they were doing this before uh, a kind of a new a new hegemony of our culture has set in, Uh, where calls for censorship are actually now more coming, it seems, from leftist types, uh, university students, etc. South Park has kind of almost transcended that. Like, they're basically the one show that gets left alone. (laughs) Yeah, you don't hear a lot of people getting upset about that. Part of it, I think, too, is that they are, like, ahead of the curve in their own trolling. So, for example, in the last season, season 22... Matt Stone and Trey Parker themselves created a hashtag called Cancel South Park. So they initiated the outrage against their own show <laughs> to beat everyone else to the punch so that 
no one, I guess, could get any brownie points for being the first to point out that South Park is offensive. And this is an interesting uh, side note about about censorship and people who are doing censorship. A lot of the people who are wanting to censor others, they kind of want scalps. Like they want to have taken people down and like ruin people's lives, whether you're on the right or the left. And I think that was a really smart move on their part to start that hashtag because it actually yeah, cut them off of the knees. They they didn't get they couldn't get a scalp because you know they'd already they started their own hashtag. Yeah, I mean, so I look at South Park as kind of almost like a like a missing link or like a, a connecting link between two different eras of life where because it's been on the air for 22 years, it really, you can go back and watch episodes from 96, 97, 98, and you would probably be surprised a at how kind of bland they are compared to South Park today and how interestingly, especially early on, it was people saying, this is too violent. This is, you're going to make kids go do terrible things because of this cartoon where obviously no one with a brain who watches South Park (laughs) thinks that's what (laughs) South Park is doing. You know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So anyway, main characters, basic rundown the show. There's four kids who are kind of the main characters throughout the whole run. There's Stan and Kyle, We'll talk about a little bit later, but they themselves are modeled after Trey Parker and Matt Stone themselves. So Stan is modeled after Trey and Kyle is modeled after Matt. And uh, a lot of the jokes, probably one of the most, it doesn't even seem offensive because it's South Park, but Kyle is Jewish and so is Matt Stone. So there's a lot of Jewish tradition and jokes thrown in because of him. And that's a common theme of humor (laughs) throughout it. And then there's Cartman, who is, I don't know, he's just like, he's a psychopath. He's <laughs> the embodiment of, of evil. <laughs> he's basically the worst of every metric of a person. <laughs> like they they try to find everything bad about everyone and put it into one person. Yeah, <laughs> like there isn't an attribute, like every single attribute he shows, he's on the extreme end of terribleness of that does, attribute. Does he have any redeemable qualities? I, I can't think so. No, I don't think so. And then there's Kenny, their silent friend, who wears an orange jacket, and at least in the early on, he'd get killed all the time, but then they uh, kind of got away from that joke and then got back to it. And then Kenny is kind of a main character. But uh, by about season six or five or six, another main character is Butters, who is probably the funniest. He's he's the one that makes me laugh the most, except for maybe Randy, who is Stan's dad. And Randy is another main character throughout all of this. So those are the characters we're going to be mostly talking about today. I mean, there's a, there's a slew of other secondary characters who... All have their own quirks. Also should point out the vast majority of the characters are voiced by both Trey Parker and Matt Stone as well. Uh, A major exception being Chef, um, who was voiced by Isaac Hayes, the guy who played the original Shaft. But he quit after the Scientology episode (laughs) because he was a Scientologist. And And he felt like that was too far. Yeah. And so I think that was in season nine. And then in season 10, uh, Matt and Trey wrote an episode where Chef dies because he joined a cult that brainwashed him. (laughs) (laughs) Which is just their their style of humor. Art art imitates life, hey? But anyway... Let's start with our great friend, Eric Cartman. The friend of But <laughs> So David, give it I just I I love hearing what other people have to say about this guy. If you are if you've even watched one episode of South Park, you'll get all of this. Uh, honestly, my favorite 
character in South Park is Cartman. Not not because I love embodiments of evil or anything like that, but he's the character that makes it the funniest because you're you're basically watching someone constantly self-destruct and a zero self-awareness ever, it seems. Like, for example, one of my favorite moments is in that Go God Go where Cartman calls himself from the future to try to warn himself yeah so in that in that scene in go god go he's frozen in the snow because he wants to get a nintendo wii (laughs) which again is is just a great example of cartman being awful because he he cannot wait three weeks to get it and he's like i have to do something i i have no impulse control i have nothing i need to want this now so i'm gonna freeze myself so i can skip these three weeks and then i'll get thawed and then i'll be able to buy my wii but he gets frozen for 500 years, ends up in this dystopian future where everyone's an atheist and somehow otters have become sentient, which is, you know, very South Park, just crazy. And he calls himself and he's like, look, you got to be patient. Just wait for the, the Wii for three weeks. Yeah, like his future self calls his present day self. Yeah. And he's like, is that you, Cal? <laughs> Cal, stop. <laughs> Cal, you're an idiot. <laughs> Go away. And And then... When he hangs up the phone, future Carmen's like, man, I hate that guy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's the time child. The time child. <laughs> That's what they call him. Uh, and it is, yeah, because what's happening in that moment is the person that Cartman actually ends up finding the most intolerable is actually just him. Yeah. Like, and, and, but, he, but there's never a click where he's like, oh, I'm awful. No, he's like, I hate that guy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, Cartman is just a explosion of non-self-awareness for sure. But it's kind of like a, a level above that. Like it's an active self-deception yeah and there's <laughs> not even and, and, they, and they also make him like evil right like uh i forget the name of the rolling st- or not the rolling the Radiohead episode where uh, scott tenorman must die <laughs> yeah scott tenorman must die where like basically cartman plans this entire elaborate process for scott tenorman to eat his own parents yeah, in he... chile and then at the end he's like licking up his tears he's like oh yes <laughs> feed me <laughs> <laughs> i got you scott tenorman and it was all because scott tenorman sold Cartman his pubes because he told Cartman that pubes were worth a lot of money. And in that episode, any, like that's a classic. But yeah, that's that was the episode where Kyle's like, we better not piss Cartman off ever. Like that was an episode where Cartman, I think that was season four or five, Cartman took the next step. Yeah, and, and, and we see that happen throughout all of South Park. He's not a benign evil. He's very active evil. And he's he's constantly kind of plotting people's demises and trying to destroy things. Even in the later seasons where he's dating this Heidi girl, he's constantly trying to destroy her and he's abusive, but he's pretending to, to not be abused or to pretending to be abused himself. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to even know where to start. I mean, you started, but it's hard to know, like, even because Cartman, there's definitely no one I know in real life like Cartman. And I think they would be hopefully conditioned from a very early age. If they, but there are so many different elements of Cartman that. I definitely see in other people and probably are, I wouldn't be surprised if there's some in me too that I don't see, which would be very Cartman-ish of it, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. But well, like, what are some of the... Of the okay, well, yeah. like, here's an example. So in the Chin Pokemon episode, he yells at his cat because he doesn't want to share his food, right? Like, it's goddamn cat, Cartman. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> doesn't speak English. He does English. that all the time. He yeah. just yells at no, things No, kidding. That's my cheesy poofs, right? <laughs> like... Dude, what the hell? <laughs> How is that ever going to work? You know? Yeah. He he also in that episode, 
So the Chin Pokemon episode is it's the Pokemon ripoff episode. This is the first time around when Pokemon was famous from like the, the I think it was like 97. And he uh, he wants the Pengin. This <laughs> is a penguin wolf. He wants the Pengin. He doesn't get it. Kenny gets it, his friend. And so he just tries to bribe him. <laughs> He's like, oh, Kenny. And so I was like, as soon as he doesn't get his way, He's the most pathetic, unimpressive specimen you could ever hope to see, right? And what's so interesting about that is it's not exactly affected because he is actually so selfish that he doesn't seem like it's an act, right? No, no, I think he actually is that way. <laughs> like, yeah. exactly. Like, I think this is who Cartman is. <laughs> and when he becomes pathetic, it's because he's been exposed but he really still wants it, and it probably his weird relationship with his mom, like in the episode where they're playing, um, where they're playing World of Warcraft, and, yeah. and he like gets his mom to come down, and like so he doesn't have to go upstairs. Bingy! <laughs> oh yeah, the and, bathroom. Yeah, yeah. shits in the like porta potty, then she takes it away. Man, <laughs> like yeah, I mean it's kind of like it's I don't know if it's more frightening or not than someone who is contriving a lot because he does. There are some episodes where he contrives, so it definitely happens. Especially like that Scott Tenderman is a good example, but there are a lot of episodes where it just kind of seems like he's doing, like he knows what he wants. So like in Go Got Go, he wants that Nintendo Wii more than any goddamn thing in the world, right? And so he's got a everything that he does is an elaborate ruse to get that Nintendo Wii sooner. He can't be patient. He doesn't care who he, like, when he's going to get frozen in that episode, Butters is the one he takes him, and he's so mean to Butters. He calls him such a dumbass and so stupid, and Butters is the only one who's helping him. And he does so, that to people all the time. So he's rude, he's mean, he's impatient, and then once he's in the future, and he actually almost learns something, he calls himself in the past, and he hates that guy, and that's it. Yeah, there's, like, there's no, no more learning to be done. There's not. Maybe I should be different if I go back. There's nothing. <laughs> no. And the thing, this is a consistent theme with Cartman, right? If you go to the Imagination Land episodes, he spends three whole episodes being obsessed with getting Kyle to suck his balls. Yeah, <laughs> he bets Kyle. Yeah, like it's just, it's just crazy how in the course of the Imagination Land trilogy, basically the imagination can get destroyed. There's terrorists who are bombing their imagination and it's going to be the end of the there, imagination. There's layers there, Luke. There's yeah, layers. Exactly. <laughs> and all that Cartman can care about, that whole, well, it's like an hour worth of runtime because it's three episodes. All he can care about is that because Kyle bet that there aren't leprechauns and if he lost the bet, he'd suck Cartman's balls. It doesn't matter what explosions are going on. It doesn't matter who's... Stan is in dire danger in Imagination Land. And Butters is stuck there with the terrorists for like the entire time. And all Cartman wants. He's so fixated on, well, he hates Kyle. That's another thing we just have, again, one of it's the kind themes. kind of a frenemies thing. Like, Oh, man, I don't know. <laughs> it's hard to say. I think, well, I think their relationship, Kyle and Cartman's, is much more humor-based. But also, Kyle is really the only character that consistently calls Cartman out on his shit. Right? Yeah, like all the time. So Ka- he kind of hates Carmen a lot. Yeah, bit. and so again, Carmen, I think probably were Cartman to have a prick of bad conscience, if you were ca- if you if Carmen were psychologically capable of reflecting on his behavior, the person who would make him do that the most is Kyle. But you actually see this in Cartman a lot, where his reaction to someone calling him out is actually just to hate him and to like try to fuck over his life. Like it's not. It's it's a vindictive 
it's when he's confronted by his own failures or his own inadequacies, his response is anger and violence. And that's a common thing of, of people who aren't self-reflective. They'll, they'll lash out when they're confronted by their own failings. And, and Cartman exemplifies this again and again and again throughout all of South Park. There'd be like an example in every single episode of him doing that. Yeah, I think, <laughs> I think it's a theme almost. I mean, one of the surrealist aspects of South Park is like, why the hell are these kids friends with Cartman ever? All he does is use them, manipulate them, uh, laugh at them, tease them. Like Kenny, for example, in Chin Pokemon, he laughs at Kenny for being poor and stupid and can't get anything. And then as soon as Kenny has something he wants, he's like begging him for it and saying he'll do anything and that Kenny's his best friend. Like he's fucking shameless. Yeah. There is nothing Cartman won't do. So again, I don't actually think there's anyone in real life like Cartman. I think he is... Uh, we all have a little Cartman in us. Well, <laughs> what is interesting about Cartman is that on any given metric... So he's a case study in basically every attribute at its worst. So you want to talk about the degree, like the spectrum of patience. He's the most impatient person there could be. Now, you want to talk about kindness. He's the he's he can be the rudest person in the world. You want to talk about chivalry. He's terrible to girls. You want to talk about so like is there a person you want to who's talk about respecting your parents and loving your parents? <laughs> he's, no, he's he's ruthless to his mom. I'm like yeah. why she keeps him around, I don't know. So is there a single person who is the worst to their parents, the most impatient, the most unkind, the least chivalrous? Probably not all in one person. Maybe, but the fact that there are all of these metrics that he shows at any given time that he's the worst at. What's really interesting about him is that it can be, okay, I'm pretty patient, so that's not the part of Cartman that pricks at me. You know, I'm pretty kind. That's not the part of Cartman that pricks at me. I'm pretty chivalrous. That's not the part. You know, sometimes am I dismissive of my friends? because I'm following something selfishly that I want to do, if it's important. Like, uh, maybe that might happen sometimes with me, and that's something. So, you know, to actually give Cartman's character a fair shake, you'd have to look at the parts of him that are actually maybe more relevant to you or to someone you know, because there's no one exactly like him. But there are parts of him that are like other people. Oh, yeah. And And all the negative ones. Yeah, and I think... It, it would be going about South Park wrong to watch and be like, oh, I know a guy like that's just like Cartman. You should watch Cartman carefully and be like, I'm like that sometimes. And and there's obviously varying degrees. I think everyone's been impatient and really looking forward to something and wanting something to happen and not being able to handle the weight. Or we've all uh, been maybe mean to our friends for a joke. Like That's one of the other things. Cartman seems to constantly be trying to make a joke out of his friends or to hurt them in some way that he thinks is going to be hilarious and other people might laugh which, too. Which adds to his own selfishness, right? Like his own self-interest is also the down, like the zero-sum game often for Carmen. Like he can only go up if other people can go down. So yeah, you're right. Everyone is impatient sometimes. But if you think about it like a scale, right? Like today I am 60% impatient and today I'm 55% unkind. Every single day, Carmen is 100%. Of all, he's a hundred percent impatient. He's a hundred percent unkind. Like there's no wavering for him. Every single day, he's the worst of every attribute, and yet somehow they still hang out with him. Yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't make any Here's sense. Here's another so. great example. He is so cynical. So the one of my 
probably t- top 10 all-time favorite episodes is Christian Rock Hard, where he's got his, um, where they make a, the Faith Plus One Christian Rock Band with uh, such hits as, I want to get down on my knees and start pleasing you, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> or my favorite, I might be born again, but I wasn't born again yesterday. <laughs> He just takes famous songs yeah. or whatever and, and and so one of his lines adds the word Jesus. <laughs> yeah, exactly. When Butters and Token ask him, "Why we want to? We don't. We're not Christian. We don't want to make Christian music." He says, "It's the easiest, crappiest music ever." <laughs> he's talking about Christian rock. So he like he just he wants to get famous, right? He's just cynical. Well, he's also made a bet that he can make an album go platinum. I think with either I think it was Kyle or was it? Uh, he, yeah, he makes that bet, yeah. but I think it's after he thinks that this is a good idea to do, right? Because he wants the fame, he wants the acclaim of being a musician without any of the work. Again, because he's a cynical fuck, so he's like, "Well, it's the easiest, crappiest music ever. We can easily make it, right?" And he does. He does become very big. This is the other thing about Cartman. He's often very successful in his crazy little schemes, like uh, from Cartman Land, where he. Uh, inherits a million dollars from his grandma who apparently loved him for some reason oh and, yeah and uh he takes a million and buys a theme park but he's only buying the theme park because he hates being around other people and he hates being in lines and he he only wants to ride the rides and he makes a commercial he says no 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 you can't come to my park especially starting kyle <laughs> <laughs> and he's just mocking them and and, and kyle's going through this this crisis of faith because he's like how could so many good things be happening to this absolutely diabolical human being who i hate so much yeah so in that episode carmen inherits i think it's like a million dollars from his grandma and someone says to him well you didn't earn that you didn't earn that money and he says what about all the years i spent making grandma like me don't tell me i didn't earn this (laughs) and i was like man there's like a really twisted logic in that so he he takes something that's technically true but obviously the joke is you shouldn't be putting up (laughs) i can't believe i'm even saying this but you shouldn't be putting up with your grandma just so you can get all of her money when she's dead right (laughs) anyone who's doing that is just is a cartman like but again he's so far like he's way past like he's past the uncanny valley of evil the uncanny valley if you don't know is this idea i think it comes from robotics where like if you make a robot that is so low quality it's goofy and it doesn't look at all and then you make one that's so high quality that it's just it doesn't look anything like a person like they just there's so range but then there's a small little slice of place called the uncanny valley where if you make a robot that looks kind of similar to humans but not enough it's a term for being unbelievably weirded out and not knowing what to think about yeah, you something. feel really uncomfortable in that place because you're like you're supposed to be like me but you're not and, yeah but we're way past this with cartman yeah so like cartman like there's a there's an element of evil in the world where if you're around it you're uncomfortable because it's close to home it's like okay you even things like shoplifting like someone shoplifts that makes me uncomfortable in a way that cartman's malfeasances don't because shoplifting though i don't shoplift and wouldn't shoplift it's not like it's something that would be beyond the pale of someone i know to do just because it's of its ease and it's kind of stores everywhere like it would just it, it makes me uncomfortable in a sense because the option is a live option i guess right whereas with cartman he's so far past this. it doesn't seem like a so live he's option. he's a he's, he's a, a parody he's a perfect exposition of comedy he's kind of like i don't know like who's the most it's like a serial killer there's something about a serial killer that's just so far past what I could consider doing. It's eons and eons past 
any sort of gray area of your own ethical morass that you're wading through in your own life that it's a comic figure again. Yeah, <laughs> he's yeah, so exactly. evil, he's a comic figure. <laughs> Which, I mean, makes sense in <laughs> South Park. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I find... the th- but, but strangely, he seems to be the character that's most quoted, the character that most people are familiar with from South Park. Not a lot of friends, you know, having beers together, sit around quoting Kyle or Stan. In fact, they don't. But a lot of people are quoting Cartman because it's, it's the absurdity of his character... I think that makes South Park the show that it is. Mm-hmm. Well, it's that absurdity that we see all throughout South Park, but just on a character level of a reoccurring character, we just see this absurdity, and we, we can't look away. It's almost like watching a a train crash. Car crash, not train crash. I don't know why I said train crash. Well, I know what you mean. <laughs> yeah. A train wreck. Train wreck. That's car what wreck. it was, yeah. A car train wreck crash. <laughs> Something crash. <laughs> well, so I think if I'm looking at South Park as a whole, Cartman exists, A, for humor, because, again, what South Park does, they're just so goddamn funny. And that is their first goal. Their first goal is to make you laugh. Once you once you have someone laughing, you have them, right? Anything else you want to do, it's on the table. There's probably biochemical reasons for being, as an aside, when I was a teacher, I would spend the first five minutes... Uh, when I taught in South Korea, I'd spend the first five minutes of every class making the kids laugh because just experience, if they're laughing, they're in a good mood. If they're in a good mood, you know, because laughing releases, I don't know, what's the neurotransmitter release? One of the good dopamine, ones? Dopamine? Maybe. Be, yeah, something good. Yeah. Probably not dopamine. So what it does is it, well, whatever it is, it puts people in a good mood, right? So the kids are in a good mood. People who laugh are in a good mood. They're more open to learning. They're more open to having an open mind and a I curiosity. Get, I get serotonin. Yeah, sure. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, again, Matt and Trey know you make them laugh. There's a whole lot more on the table you can do, right? So Carmen's there for humor, but he's also there to act as a... He's there so that Stan and Kyle, who are the mouthpieces of Matt and Trey themselves, for the most part, it seems, have something to comment on. Because a lot of the... A lot of the ideas percolating in South Park stem from Kyle and Stan's realizations of how Cartman's path is detrimental if anyone else takes it. Yeah. Like the kind of world you would have if everyone did what Cartman did because he's such a extreme example of a particular attribute at any given time they're able to see its logical conclusion and then be like well i learned something today (laughs) what the hell (laughs) don't do this so he's he's a dual role i think he's just for humor which is no small thing and then also to have something for stan and kyle to comment on yeah absolutely and i think sometimes it's enjoyable to watch absolutely ridiculous things and how ridiculous he is, I think, is one of the biggest enjoyments of South Park. Yeah, so I'm just going to like try and lay out a couple of his extreme, like good examples of what we're talking about. He's an extreme manipulator, for sure, especially with Butters. So in the um, Good Times with Weapons episode, which is, again, a, a classic because it's the anime one where 
they get ninja weapons and, <laughs> and basically become ninja warriors yeah, and or anime they, warriors. Butters is Professor Chaos in this episode, his alter ego. Uh, but like all of the fighting scenes are done anime style. And then Kenny accidentally hits Butters in the face with a throwing star. And so there's a big metal throwing star in his eye and he starts crying. And so they're trying to take Butters to the hospital. But then they run into Craig and his friends and they all have ninja weapons too. And then Butters runs away, and so they can't find him. And so they need to find him. And then Craig's friend's like, well, we didn't lose Butters. You lost Butters. And Cartman says, if Butter tells on us, we tell on you. That's ninja code. (laughs) (laughs) And, like, he's just so, like, he's he's pretending that this, like, really sacred duty, ninja code, includes something so petty as telling on them unless you help us because... If I'm gonna get in trouble, you're getting in trouble too. Yeah, and he, <laughs> There's he does no that way. He does that's that with not everything. He's right? constantly manipulating people. In the episode where Kenny is on life support, best friends forever, all he cares about is getting Kenny's PSP. Because in his will, Kenny has left his PSP to Cartman, right? <laughs> PSP is, for those who don't know, is a handheld video game device. And, and this is a, a, the, the theme we've, as we've said, Cartman is always obsessed with something getting something for himself or some kind of event that he wants to occur that he's going to bring into the world. He wants control. Like he, he wants whatever whim he has, whether it's for food with his cat, he doesn't want his cat to eat his food or it's to have uh, Kyle suck his balls. Like that's his obsession or to, you know, get revenge for um, the guy selling him his pubes, like yeah. from the whole way through. <laughs> and there's an interesting extra layer here with Carmen where he pretends like he feigns taking on a cause that is potentially noble all under the aegis of just getting something stupid that he wants. So he pretends like Kenny, his friend who's being left on life support. This was all during the Terry Shivo case during the Bush years where she was on life support and there was a whole big news cycle about it. So Cartman pretends like Kenny wanted to die in peace right like so he's like my best friend was kenny and his wishes were always to uh never be on life support pull the plug and it's just not dignified like carmen's really affectating this stance right really he doesn't get kenny's psp until kenny's officially dead (laughs) so so he's totally he's he's throwing in all of this for the like he's putting all in these noble sentiments for the basest uh motivations that he has right (laughs) <laughs> oh yeah, I mean it's like the uh, the crack baby ba- basketball one. This is not an episode that we we watched together, but uh, he's like, "Well, I'm helping the babies. I'm giving them something to do." Like, and he's going into this whole, "Oh, you know, we can't pay them." <laughs> yeah, man, there's like a level of oblivion to him too, right? Where he can't understand anyone who doesn't share his motivations. So, in Cartman Land, the one that you were talking about, when he has a theme park and his roller coaster breaks down, he says he'll pay. The repair worker, he gets as many rides on the roller coaster as he wants. The guy's like, I don't want rides on a roller coaster. I want money. <laughs> yeah. and, and so then he has to let people in. And yeah. Car- but Carmen's dumbfounded here, right? Like, he doesn't understand someone who doesn't want the exact same thing that he wants were he in that position. Because Carmen would want hundreds of rides on that roller coaster. The fact that this repairman doesn't is mind-blowing to him. So he's he's almost a character of pity. Well, sometimes. yeah. They're, they're, 
I mean, there's, he is pitiable. Yeah. Uh, and there's that great scene also where Stan, at the very beginning of, of Cartman Land, says to Kyle to kind of comfort him because Kyle's like, what's wrong with the world? How did Cartman get to buy a whole amusement park? Uh, Stan says to Kyle, he's like, well, he's just going to get bored there. Like, what kind of person would want to just ride rides alone at their at an amusement park? And then there's a scene of Cartman just in, having the best time ever all by himself <laughs> in the amusement park with no one there. <laughs> The incomprehensibility of his motivations to like the average kind of ethical person is it's what makes him so funny, you know? Oh, exactly. <laughs> exactly. It is what makes him so funny. He'll just throw jokes in all the time. That Good Times with Weapons episode, they're fighting Professor Chaos and Professor Chaos throws a net. Like it's all imaginary, but it's in the anime mode where there's a net over top of Kyle and Stan and their characters and Kyle has just removed all the like you said I've you've taken all your powers from your Carmen so Cartman can't help them so he's like oh my gosh I don't I can't do anything I got no powers and then he's like you gotta give me my powers back Kyle Kyle's like all right you can have your powers back and instead of fighting Professor Chaos the very first thing he does is turn Kyle into a chicken <laughs> <laughs> like he's like ha, 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 you are a chicken <laughs> god damn it Carmen <laughs> and like that's like that it, were you to put it on an epitaph of him it's god damn it yeah, Cartman. No, that's literally that, that, that's the phrase yeah he doesn't understand anything the episode margarine where the girls have this fortune telling device and it's just that thing that kids make it's like a piece of paper you go one two three four red <laughs> right, blue yes, yeah. you know like that thing so the girls make one so they send butters in undercover as margarine the new girl to go to the girls slumber party to, to steal this powerful device that can change the fates for everyone and so when the boys are prepping Mar- uh, butter slash margarine, Cartman says to him, and if everyone just starts lezzing out, just go with it. <laughs> As if so, that's so, the only thing that the girls well, do, and like right? there's Well, and there's a thing here with Cartman where he's both mature enough to, I mean, because they're eight. They're in grade three, so they're eight. He's mature enough to kind of, I guess, know what a lesbian is, but he's so oblivious to that for lack of a better term in practice where it's just like oh it's a girl's slumber party they're probably just gonna start lessing out like he's just he doesn't know anything about anyone that isn't him yeah right and like he doesn't know anything about girls at all because <laughs> he doesn't individualize any of them although in the later seasons he does have this strange relationship with his Heidi girl which is is actually I think a really good commentary by the by the showrunners of abusive relationships and i think they are really digging into that in a good way on that one but yeah he he even then the whole, the relationship is all about him and that's all that matters and yeah i don't know i mean i he's probably he's one of the only characters in every single episode oh well maybe not every single episode but he's in at least i'd say 98 percent of the episodes and well he's bringing something to south park which is so golden. Like there's no, I don't think there's a South Park without Carmen. Yeah, I completely agree. The way, with that. the way that it has gone through the years now, he is really the, even when he's not the main character, he's often the focal point of certainly outrage. I mean, and he, <laughs> for a show that causes so much outrage, I think that he's blown a fuse because it's not really him that does it anymore because no one, it's just, oh, it's just Cartman. Right, yeah, they they don't really take it to mean that anymore. Well, it's like the the whole, uh, there was a lot of talk in the media fairly recently, well, maybe not recently, but when I was in university about South Park doing an episode picturing Muhammad, 
And obviously that was is uh, considered v- deeply disrespectful by uh, by Muslims. And they ended up not doing it. But it's it's the fact that, that they're willing to go so far on everything that uh, that makes it such a good show. I think if they only picked on one group, and but that's the other thing about Cartman. At least he's authentic in the sense that he's pretty, he, he, I mean, he has a particular hatred for Kyle, but he's really just that selfish all the time. Like the only, that kind of person is easy to understand and easy to kind of avoid in that, just find someone who only cares about themselves, and every motivation can be brought down to something that they want. I, I think you could talk about Carmen forever, just go episode by episode and talk about whatever outrageous thing he did in that one. But his kind of, in, in the, some of the later seasons, his big stance is his coon character. He's the coon, right? When the superhero craze takes over. And the thing with the coon is that he's like giving so much voiceover and narration. And so... It wasn't even until this episode where it just totally dawned on me. Really, the deepest problem with Cartman is he's solipsistic. So solipsism is this idea in philosophy that because you can't know anything outside of your own brain, like the argument is there's nothing you can prove that exists except your own brain. So it's actually only credible or authentic to live as if you're the only thing that exists. Uh, that's the more technical philosophical definition in more, not that exactly it exists in common parlance, but when it does, it's more kind of like someone who only thinks about themselves. So it's myopic would be another word. Yeah. It's a little uh, bit it's more different than myopic, but it's a little bit more of a synonym to egotistical, but Cartman cannot believe when there's a occurrence in the world that doesn't involve him. And he's outraged by these occurrences. Like it, it, he hates it. It's literally incomprehensible to him. There are people... This is this is an attribute of Cartman, which unfortunately, because it's, this is most detrimental, I think, there is an element of this that is uh, unfortunately a little bit more common in the world where getting over solipsism is a super important life task. Development goal or whatever you want to call it. And I think what we see, what Cartman should teach all of us is that he he seems to have sky high expectations for everything. Everything, like you said, everything needs to go right for him. He needs to be like he needs to get the best toys. He needs to have the best life. He, anything that he wants in any given moment, and his wants change all the time. He should have, and living that way is only going to lead to how Cartman often leaves, which is like this temper tantrum rage against the universe. Why am I not getting what I want? Why why are things not working the way I want them to? Yeah, and because of what we talked about earlier, how he's just incapable of learning, this is a vicious circle for him. If he were a real person, this would be a terrible life he would be have because... He, he wouldn't have any friends, probably. N- no. Or if, <laughs> if he did, they would be equally awful. <laughs> He'd be a con man moving on city to city, at least. Yeah, that would be like his, his best case scenario. So with him... Why is it so? I thought about this a little bit. Like, why is it so bad that he can't understand that other people exist and have lives outside of him? Why is this a problem? Uh, this, and I'm tr- okay. Well, how do I answer that question? Not rhetorically, right? Okay. Give Carmen his due to answer this question. So, when you have the realization that you are 
only a part of something that there are so many other people, people you know, people you don't know who are just out there living and that they have so many connections and things that come up to their lives that are meaningful that don't involve me in any way, shape or form. What that does to me is when I realize that and it when that shows itself to me, it's like a massive injection of humility where I can be like, okay, yeah, (laughs) there is so much not about me. And that's fine because there's that, what that does is that I can just add my little part. I don't actually have to worry about being everything to everyone (laughs) because that's not what's expected of me. And Cartman, he, well, he doesn't have the social awareness to think, of what he does to other people, but like, it's like, he doesn't care what he is to other people, but he can't believe he isn't everything to other people because he's everything to himself. Right. And what this does to him and presumably does is that it just leads to exactly what you said. All of this kind of heartache and frustration and anger because he can't, he can't square the circle. Well, and, and like, I think he's constantly confronted by a world he can't control. And that's part, I mean, I think it was you who told me once, uh, um, hell is other people, right? Well, that's a John Paul Sartre quote. Right, so it's the Sartre quote, hell is other people. I, I really love that quote because it doesn't have to be. Other people don't have to be hell if you're not trying to control them. But it's even like, imagine you're these incels on the internet right who are always talking about why how awful women are and and hating on women because women don't aren't giving them what they want right and that's why they're so terrible cartman would definitely be an incel cartman would for sure be an incel i in fact when you watch him you think he's he's definitely an incel right but but really what what cartman and what these this group on the internet that is struggling with is they want something from another person and they're not getting it. And instead of saying, why am I not getting it? And seriously contemplating whether that's even a thing you should want or, or what another person's function in, in your life is. You're or considering what, none of the considering extemporaneous nothing. aspects of it. Just, just I'm not getting what that. I want. Or those people who are get so upset because you know, they don't feel like they're attractive enough. And therefore, they're not attracting a, a partner. And, and, they, and it's all about status and looks for them. Fundamentally, that only leads to unhappiness. Right? Because... If that's what you care about, is getting something from other people or controlling the universe around you, you're never going to succeed. Other people are not going to want to be controlled, A, and B, the universe is far too chaotic for you to even bring a, a semblance of control over large swaths of it. And the tragedy of that for Cartman or other people dueling with solipsism is that they are not going to get to experience so much of the beauty of the world, which is only going to come to them if they're not like by definition self-centered because, because Carmen's not going to open himself up to new books, new movies, new ideas. He, he basically only, he's got this filter that he only allows things in from the outside world. If it already fits his agenda. So he kind of like finds those, he finds the. <laughs> he loves Mel Gibson's The Passion of the Christ because of how it shows that the Jews kill Jesus and the Jews are so terrible, right? Like that's kind <laughs> yeah, of that's his, his whole worldview. So right? it's not, I mean, I don't particularly love The Passion of the Christ myself, but Cartman only likes it because it already fits a narrative he already has about 
Kyle slash the Jews, right? It's it's and it goes back to to confirmation bias, which I think is one of the most dangerous uh, psychological hangups that you can have as a person. Is all new information gets filtered through what you already believe and what you've already perce- what you've already decided. This is how it works. You can't learn. You're not curious in that case. Your only uh, your only way of processing information is with preconceived notions, and with Cartman and with people who live like that, you you miss out on real connection with people because a way to really connect with someone is to care about what they care about too. How do you do that if you only care about what you care about? Well said. To put a, a tombstone on Cartman, there's just one last thing I wanted to talk about about him, and I think it's probably the episode where he is maybe his most evil slash definitely his least likable and it's the breast cancer show ever episode. So this is the episode where at the beginning of the episode, Wendy Testaberger, the on again, off again, girlfriend of Stan slash good character in her own right is giving a, like a talk to the class about breast cancer awareness and Cartman just can't help tittering the whole time. He's, he makes all these jokes like killer boobies. <laughs> yeah. <It's> like, <laughs> <laughs> are you serious? Your boobs are trying to kill you? That's hilarious, right? Like, he's just so dismissive of this thing that, you know, culturally, we rightly so take pretty seriously because it, it affects so many people in such a negative way. But again, it's showing Carmen has no depth of his depravity, right? Like, he'll go he'll after go, He'll go anywhere. He'll go after yeah. anything. And so this is the last straw. Like there's been a lot of episodes before this where Wendy hates Cartman, but she takes the high road and she lets it go. This is the last straw. Wendy says, all right, dude, we're fighting after school. Like she's going to fight him. And Cartman obviously doesn't want this because like any good bully slash loud mouth, he has no desire to back it up with anything <laughs> real or physical. So throughout the whole episode, he is, Again, all these negative attributes, he's 100% cowardly. <laughs> he's 100% craven. He goes up to Wendy, and he wants it to be secret. So he'll, he'll apologize to Wendy, but only in secret. And she wants it to be public. Like She's like, no, you have to do it in front of anybody. And he's like, oh, but then the boys will think I'm uh, weak and lame and won't fight you, and I don't want them to think that. And obviously Wendy's like, well, too fucking bad. <laughs> like That's <laughs> the whole point. And so he doesn't want to lose face. He's got this lowest move, and he like. There's a scene where he even eats his own underwear voluntarily without Wendy saying he has to, just so Wendy won't fight him. So he says, "I'll even eat my underwear," and Wendy's like, "Ugh, I don't care." And so it's like, "Look," and he just takes off his underwear and starts eating it without her even agreeing to it. Like he is so he's no self-respect at all. Like he'll do anything to get out of this. And he doesn't even pretend, and doesn't even pretend to care that it's a thing worth having. So not only does he have no self respect, but it doesn't even matter to him. Like it, does, like yeah. it doesn't even enter his yeah. radar that that'd be something worth having. And he tells Wendy's parents that she's bullying them, him, so that she'll leave him alone. Like he goes to extremes to get out of fighting her, and yet still talks shit about her in front of everyone else as if she's scared of him. This in his relationship with Heidi too, like around his friends, he just shits on her all the time, but he doesn't even have the, but when she breaks up with him, he's like, oh, take me back. I'm going to commit suicide. Oh, I'm so sad. And then turns around and tells everyone that she was going to commit suicide and he had to take her back. Like the man is 
well, not the man. The child is just <laughs> complete and utter evil, like yeah. in a sense. Well, it's interesting. It's these. It's it's actually these two kind of relationships that he has with, with Wendy and with Heidi. Like not a real, not a romantic relationship with Wendy, but it's these is when he's doing things that are like almost a little bit believable because they're involving another person and he's really directly screwing them over, right? And so, this breast cancer show ever, ever episode. Most of Sh- Cartman's shenanigans, I'm like, I don't care. <laughs> Whatever. You're Cartman. Like, but this one, like this episode, I was like, oh, I can't wait for you to get your ass kicked. And what's so cool is that Matt, like the Matt Stone and Trey Parker do this. They they give us what we want. So every episode where Cartman's at his worst, he does get his comeuppance. Yeah. Like, right. When he's got Cartman land and he's done all this, then the IRS takes all his money away and he. He, he gets what's coming to him. Mm-hmm. So when you look at Carmen, no one's like Carmen, but there are aspects of Carmen that are out there and certainly worth <laughs> being self-aware about because he is not. And so now I got to ask, Lou, 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 I got some apples. Lou, 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 you got some too. Lou, 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 let's make some applesauce. And Lou, 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 Lou. Do you have any applesauce, David? <laughs> I wish I had some <laughs> applesauce right now. Now I'm hungry. <laughs> yes. Probably my favorite character is Butters, the the know-nothing naivete, who's sometimes actually really vicious, but mostly is pathetic. <laughs> and so funny. <laughs> he He's kind of the character, or the, he, he, the goody two-shoes who has a very violent, horrible streak at some point, <laughs> but... <laughs> Yeah, so he's like a recurring character for the first few seasons, but he doesn't really get his shining moments until I think he's got his very own episode in season five. It's me, Butters. And um, one of the things that the show does really well with Butters is have him in a lot of scenarios with Cartman because they're the two most opposite characters in the show. You know, Cartman being so evil and Butters being... Like Butters is good, but he's also very gullible, and so he's a perfect target for Cartman. He's soft-headed and (laughs) soft-hearted. Yeah, (laughs) actually, yeah, that's a note I have. (laughs) So he's basically uh, like once um, Butters comes into the show in a regular fashion, where he's a main character, he's always the other kid's punching bag for teasing. Uh, He's always pretty nice when others are mean to him. But he's got this interesting alter ego called Professor Chaos, uh, which we learn quite a bit about in some of the episodes where he pretends to bring, uh, was it Professor Chaos, bringer of destruction and doom. So he wants to bring <laughs> destruction and doom, these terrible things, which Butters himself can't ever do. And humorously enough, his sidekick is called General Disarray. <laughs> so you have... Uh, Especially in the Simpsons did episode, you have Professor Chaos and General Disarray. Oh, you mean like the Simpsons already did it? Oh, what do you mean the Simpsons did it? Simpsons did it. Simpsons did it. <laughs> and so in that episode, he gets super frustrated when he can't think of an original idea. Uh, what are some other? Like he's innocent and funny. So there's a scene in Christian Rock Hard where Cartman is convincing the Christian record label producers that he's in it for the right reasons not for the money because they're like well you know we want to make sure the people are in it for christ not the money and uh carmen says if i'm in it for the wrong reasons 
like god strike me down with lightning <laughs> and butters is sitting right beside cartman and he kind of like, like shuffles <laughs> he, out of the yeah, way he knows what cartman's up to <laughs> and then there's like an innocent uh good sense to him about too so it's like, he's like kind of sweet so uh, again, in the Christian Rock Hard episode, at the end of the episode, when Cartman finds out he can't get a platinum album because in Christian music it only goes myrrh or double myrrh, <laughs> so he gets so angry and he's like, "Fuck Jesus!" <laughs> and uh, Butters comes and is like, "I'm pretty sure you shouldn't say the f word about Jesus." <laughs> <laughs> like this, like pearl of wisdom, yeah. <laughs> of this sweet little kid who, and and he is, he's just always kind of like. I mean, he's pretty obedient to his parents. His parents seem to be decent people. But I think one of the things that uh, the showrunners do really well is with him in the in the Imagination Land episodes. Yes, where, oh, I'm the key. I don't want to be the key. <laughs> so he gets stuck in Imagination Land for basically three whole episodes. And at the end, you realize that, that all people in Imagination Land, all real people in Imagination Land, can uh, can obviously conjure up anything they want because they're real and they can imagine things. But somehow Butters is the one that kind of harnesses this power to, to stop the forces of evil. And <laughs> I just love the I just love the ending where he's in his bed and he wakes up and he's like, oh, it was all just a dream. And then his parents are like, no, it wasn't a dream. We read about it in the papers. Like, You're grounded. <laughs> you're grounded because you were, you were supposed to be in school and you were in imagination land. And he's like, I'm not grounded. And he closes his eyes and tries to like have it. And his parents look at him and they're like, you only have that power in imagination land. Yeah. <laughs> well, and, and too, like when he's in imagination land, they ask him to like imagine a hero to come save them. And he imagines his dad. like, <laughs> What are you doing here? You're grounded, right? Again, that's one of the running jokes of the show is how no matter what Butters do, he does he gets grounded, uh, even when it's not like even especially when it's not his fault. Yeah, <laughs> his parents are pretty hard on him, so he's so. always kind of terrified. <laughs> yeah, uh, and so he's he's nice, he's sweet, he's excitable, but like what I think about Butters is that he's very much what happens if you don't have discretion. Like, he's a very undiscreet person. He's got no ability to, like, pick through scenarios with a with a kind of a skeptical eye to keep himself safe. So he puts himself into so many dangerous or compromising situations because he's just unable to have that uh, level of discernment. Butters is kind of like the, you know, Mary and Pippin and Sam in uh, Lord of the Rings with this whole, where Frodo kind of saves him from the Nazgul, right? Butters is kind of oblivious to, to danger. He seems afraid of things, but like he's also doesn't seem to realize how evil Cartman is. Like he does seem to be the guy who kind of goes along with whatever Cartman wants. Like there's the uh, the Go God Go episode where Cartman calls Butters from the future and says, "Whatever I say, don't listen to me. You cannot go with me. Do not let me freeze. I'm going to die." And then he's sitting there, and then Carpen walks into the room, and he's present like, "Present day Carpen." Yeah, present day Carpen walks into the room, and he's like, "Who are you talking to?" And he's like, "You." <laughs> what the hell are you talking about, Butters? Get off the phone. <laughs> and then Butters just—he doesn't listen to it at all. He just—he he goes along with Carpen. Yeah, Butters has no ability to understand why that scenario would be weird. <laughs> yeah, no, no, he's just like uh, okay. And so you referenced this earlier, so. Yes, unfortunately, and I like Butters a lot, but Butters is emblematic of 
the corner of the matrix of the person who he's very soft-hearted so he's kind he's sweet he's nice but he's also soft-headed he doesn't have any ability to really think critically or clearly about anything happening to him and so he gets hosed so easily by people in the world and especially carmen because i kind of have this working rubric of people who are if we're going to gauge like make a matrix of their head and their heart there's the people who are hard-hearted and hard minded soft-hearted hard-minded okay we've got hard hearts hard minds these are the most evil people we've got hard minds soft hearts these are the people who think from first principles and can help out and can really care about other people's sincerities and really take those seriously but without capitulating to a bad argument and then we have the people who the vast majority of people like butters who have a soft mind and a soft heart so they're very kind they're very caring but they're not very good at standing up for themselves or for others because they're easily defeated by someone smarter than them in an argument etc and then you have soft soft mind hard hearts who are you know the just worst yeah they're like the <laughs> the ignorant bitter angry people of the world who also aren't very bright yeah <laughs> and so cartman representing in this matrix the hard mind hard heart where he's smart but he wants to take over the world and really hose and doesn't people. care about anybody else besides himself you know butters is someone so easily taken advantage of by uh, the cartmans of the world and so this is why i think he could um he needs to, he he definitely represents the danger of gullibility. Yeah. <laughs> you oh, know, for like, sure. just having a little bit more of a healthy skepticism. And it's too bad because Butters, well, I mean it's it's a massive part of the humor. But Butters puts himself in a lot of compromising situations because of his total lack of ability to even think about his own safety even 3 minutes from now. Which yeah. is a good warning. <laughs> you should be able to, yeah. Although he does constantly seem worried, be like, "Oh, I don't know, guys," or like he's always kind of the he's cowardly, <laughs> uh, and I think that's why his alter ego is this Professor Chaos because he's he wants to be powerful, but he just knows that he isn't. So he has these fantasies about being able to control things and being this big bad guy and being powerful and scary because he's none of those things. Yeah, and then unfortunately. That's true. I mean, he's not. <laughs> Which is, again, perhaps at a deeper level, like his parents should talk to him more. <laughs> or yeah. because he's. And maybe not just be grounding him all the time. Yeah, he's definitely got some underlying issues going on in his life. And he's, unfortunately, there's a couple of. He's, he's a bit of an enabler. What we were talking about earlier, the breast cancer show episode. Uh, he's really enabling to Cartman. He's always like, ooh, Cartman and Wendy, gonna fight. And then Cartman will say something like, oh. And then he'll be like, yeah, kick her ass, Carmen. <laughs> she, she's a pussy. <laughs> you know, stuff like that. And then even like, but he's got no like principles here. Cause at the end he's like cheering for Wendy. <laughs> he's like, oh, she kicked her ass dude. You know? Yeah. He's, he's just kind he's, of always on the winning side. He's definitely, or trying to always, he's a follower. He's got a naivete that enables social discord. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Cause yeah. he's just so, he's unaware. So yeah, I think like he's so funny, but he's definitely a warning for, Lack of discretion leaves you open to getting just ravaged by a wolf. He, unfortunately, is very much a sheep. <laughs> very, very much. So, Randy. Randy Babandi, even though that's the Randy from Trailer Park Boys. <laughs> this is a different Randy. Randy is Stan's dad, who has a kind of auxiliary role for a lot of the earlier episodes, and yet really 
starts to become a main character in the money seasons after season six. What are your thoughts about Randy? Oof. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> Other than he's very funny. Well, he's hilarious. I think uh, I like a lot of the social commentary around Randy, but he, he he seems to be this rather complex character. Like there doesn't, there's not a coherent character qualities for Randy. He's kind of a he's all over the map. Yeah, he's he's <clears throat> he's very chaotic. He doesn't seem to know what he stands for, or who he is. He he's not a great father. He's kind of like a sitcom dad, but an extreme version of the sitcom dad who who's he's really just a punchline. I feel like he's a punchline in the show and a very good punchline. I enjoy a lot of of the the funny things they do with him like that one episode where everyone radiates their balls and they get these gigantic balls and are like hopping around town. Like it's just it's it's South Park at its most absurd. I'd say Randy yeah. is the absurdity of South Park. And it's hard to know which is the craziest Randy episode. Oh yeah, like um, the, he just—he's the hero of well, hero. I use that term very loosely. He's the main part of the episode over logging too, where yes, yes. where the internet goes away, and and really, it's all just about <laughs> the fact that he needs to see some porn because yeah, because he, he, he just can't jack off without porn because <laughs> he's got this. Who could ever do these that? crazy tastes now, like this uh, Brazilian fart porn yeah. and like, uh, <laughs> and I think Japanese like liquid. It's just gross. It's South Park at its most crude but also trying to make a point i mean there's that great old song the internet is for porn yeah <laughs> and, yeah. and it, i mean they're making a point that like all if the, if the internet went down a lot of people would be struggling with the lack of porn <laughs> so, so there's like in that episode anyway there's like a, a refugee camp yeah <laughs> everyone, and, and because they have internet there that everyone can use like four minutes a day <laughs> and so he he doesn't like that that's obviously not enough time so he breaks in at night and jerks off and, and just an explosion and there's like, over and the like, whole room and then the shot is uh, they show people everyone standing outside and you just hear this like noise. and they're worried that someone's dying and being attacked by a tiger and so they go in and there's just liquid everywhere and it's like hanging from the walls it's all over him it's one of those it's so cringy gross but it's so funny and he's just like got this like unbelievably satisfied look on his face i was like there's a ghost there's a ghost you see this is the ectoplasm yeah like go find the ghost it it wasn't me it was a spooky ghost it's like the the episode about um the losing edge which is a hilarious episode of just the absurdity of south park again but like then he goes through this whole championship run of and they do this for a while where there's a whole bunch of scenes with randy and then there's the kids and it's almost separate story arcs through the episode but i just love how he the thing about randy is he just seems so lost mm-hmm. there just there's no like life has passed him by yeah yeah but and not only that though he just he has no mooring he has nothing that connects him to anything really i mean he's got his family but his wife doesn't really seem to be very impressed with him and he's always searching for for some kind of thing to give him meaning and he never seems to be able to find it. Like, no, he he invests so heavily in all of these like random jobs or tasks or activities, but with a kind of cluelessness that yeah, you can't help but look at him and be like, man, like what is your core, right? Like he's got no core. He's yeah. got no. He he's unmoored. He's and it's so he do, he is a tragic. Even though he's again so funny, so funny. 
if you were to take South Park real, like at face value, you'd be like, man, this this is tragic. This is oh, a tragic he, guy. He is, he's, I think he's the most tragic figure because he's like, it's one of those guys who life didn't really turn out the way he wanted, and now he's just grasping at straws, trying to, and instead of finding something and sticking to it in his life, he doesn't seem to have ever done that. And then he often is used as a representative of kind of the forgotten classes that maybe vote more for Trump in the sense that he's just, they, they took our jobs, they right? Took our <laughs> they took our jobs! Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and weirdly enough, Randy could seemingly be a leader. He's always getting himself in these positions where he's leading people or he's an weirdly an influencer. And yet he never be, seems to be able to capitalize on it because he doesn't have a good sense of self. No, and it, be, yeah, you're right. He he always kind of gets pulled back in those moments where he could be a little bit more transcendent or a good leader. He seems to want to go back to those much more like petty things that seem to give him momentary meaning, uh, meaning, right? So like you said in Losing Edge, he spends that whole episode figuring out how he can win drunk fights at his son's baseball game. And, you know, part of the joke of the episode is that all the boys are trying to lose because they hate baseball. And, you know, we get it. You don't have to tell us why that's funny. But it's not like Randy is investing deeply in his son loving baseball because he clearly doesn't. He doesn't even know Stan doesn't like baseball. Yeah, like, and, and he <laughs> says that he's proud of Stan, but uh, like there's a scene where Stan comes to talk to his dad to say, I just don't want to do this anymore. But he's sitting there so proud, not of his son, but like I've, I've fought all the way through in the stands. I've fought like through the various playoff games. And he looks so proud of his weird accomplishment of beating up these drunk guys in baseball. So he's so out of touch, right? And it's so, again, tragic. It's so sad. It's like he, when he gets arrested throughout that episode, he's all beat up and bloody and black eye, and he takes his shirt off and his pants off to fight, which is funny. <laughs> but he's like, I thought this was America. I thought this was America. As if, like, living in a, for the most part, free country excuses being a total bore and an asshole and just, and, <laughs> at a peewee baseball not game. allowed to beat the crap out of people. Like, that's not... <laughs> but again, that's... There's a scene in that episode where he gets some social acclaim from the other dads about being able to do this. You know, like, they hand him a couple beers and they're all, like, patting him on the back. And it's kind of like, yeah, he, he this is this is his moment of validation. This is what he does to to get his the his peers' approval, and he has everything that should be getting that for him, right? He's got a marriage to Sharon, who is a lovely woman, uh, and all the more lovely for putting up with him. Oh, I don't his, know. She like she's got he's got two kids, and I mean his daughter is not. Um, I think her name's Shelley. She's not. I mean, she's a teenager, so she's not super pleasant throughout the run <laughs> of the show. But you know, Stan's a good kid. And nice and still young enough to really be soaking in all this stuff. And he, like, it's not like Randy's dumb. He's a geologist. Like he could be, but he's just not connected. Uh, so yeah, he does. It's kind of, y- y- your heart goes out to him because it's kind of like he's a little bit clueless and his life's passed him by and he's not self-aware and he's chasing ghosts around. <laughs> Spooky ghosts. <laughs> he's chasing those around because he... Just and I don't think Randy could ever articulate this, but he just can't catch something. There's just something eluding 
his grasp at any given time and he doesn't know what it is and it's slowly like making him like he's just going to be left with nothing it feels like when yeah, he keeps yeah. pursuing and, all that stuff and i think another a big part of it is is he, he seems to continually change focus there's no commitment to any one thing for a long period of time it's whatever the new thing is that has caught his attention <clears throat> weird i don't think he he's bad he doesn't seem to be particularly vindictive or manipulative or any of the really negative qualities that you might point out in another person but there's a banality of evil to him and that he's so selfish again another myopic character or the word that you said that i can't pronounce <laughs> he it's it's another way of it's another um perspective on what that can do to a person and how it leaves you kind of empty totally poor guy and well and i would actually like i didn't watch this episode for this podcast but the uh, in some of the newer seasons where he joins the um what are they the pc bros there's like a fraternity uh that comes up in south park and they're all pc bros so they're all like you know chads and toms and all these like stereotypical meatheads but they're all into social justice yeah yeah <laughs> and exactly. so so like for a good couple episodes he's always just kind of like in the morning sharon comes down and he's like sitting in the kitchen and he's like so hungover right like he's because he's so drunk and and sharon his wife says to him like what are you doing he's like we're just taking down the patriarchy one night at a time because of all of the privilege that you don't even understand it you have sharon and she's like and you're doing this by getting blasted drunk every night with your friends (laughs) like sharon you just don't understand because all your privilege (laughs) so he's again cashing in on this idea of helping the world and yet really he's just he's such a mismatch between what he says what he's wanting to do really this is the best even if you thought that this was some like a worthwhile thing to do this is the best way to do it yeah <laughs> you know yeah. well really he just wants to get drunk and hang out with the bros right? which is what he's does done throughout the entire uh, run of the show really <laughs> like he's always kind of hanging out with his bros trying to find their approval and in this case it's the new fad that he's involved in yeah i mean he's like if i was going to psychologize randy he's kind of layering over his insecurities with things that he thinks will get him some sort of social boost in whatever group he's currently around and he's not really because he doesn't have super solid relationships with anyone he's uh, like he's kind of free to float around and just if something kind of goes wrong with one group he'll just float to the next one and to the next one so yeah he is unmoored that's mm-hmm. really good insight we want to talk about Stan and Kyle. Yeah, kind of the the heart, the beating heart of this show. Yep. Uh, again, because along the road, uh, Trey Parker and Matt Stone have said that these kids are modeled after them. They kind of provide the perspective of the show that I think it wouldn't be unfair to say Matt and Trey have of the world as well, because the so. Not just about South Park, but Stan and Kyle represent why I think South Park is, even though, so I think a lot of people who aren't super familiar with South Park would say, oh, this is just a crazy show, or this is an absurd show. Well, it's way deeper than that. I actually think South Park is maybe the most sane show about absurdity. 
and it's sane because of Stan and Kyle, who are our bedrock, lighthouse, signal-in-the-storm characters that most absurd shows have. If they're any good, there's a character in the show that kind of gets to give the perspective that we, the well-adjusted audience, would give to any of the scenarios going on in the show, right? So, like, The Office has Jim and Pam. Uh, Arrested Development has Michael. Uh, The Simpsons has Lisa. There are these characters in these absurd shows who, because I think they channel what an audience would say, the audience can accept all of the other absurdity. Oh, Rick and Morty has Morty, right? And like yeah. That's, yeah, exactly. I think the brilliance of this show goes back to, uh, I forget who said it, but, um, you know, in a time of, of, of lies, telling the truth is a revolutionary act. But not only that, I believe Socrates was the one who said, like, sometimes humor is the only way to tell the truth. And it's obviously these guys' mission. I mean, Anyone who's watched even five, four, five episodes of South Park, this these guys' mission is not to make an absurd show. Th- their mission isn't to just slap people in the face with something offensive. Really, it's that they're trying and they're they're doing it in a way that most comedians and others don't. They're literally saying this is kind of what we're trying to say, and especially in the in the first five to six seasons. They'll literally say, Kyle will come up and say, this is what I learned in this episode. Yeah. Like, it's not just social commentary. They're trying to tell society something. Like, (laughs) this is a message. Yeah. And they're not hiding it. And so then, okay, who the fuck are you? What level of pretense do you get to do this? And I think that there's enough wry self-irony in South Park that is communicated from Stan and Kyle that they get away with it. They just do. They just straight up get away with any sort of preachiness that they might have because A, they're so funny and B, they're not afraid to kind of go after themselves a little bit too, right? It's like, oh, it's kind of like how they're saying, oh, here's my observation. I'm going to say it forcefully and in a way where you can take it or leave it. And I also know sometimes I'm a little bit screwed up as well and that's fine too. Like the Cartoon Wars episode where... Cartman is trying to get Family Guy pulled off the air and there's a trucker that picks Kyle up along the way and Kyle's like oh I'm just trying to get Family Guy blah 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 and the trucker's like I kind of like Family Guy because you know it's just not a show that's up its own ass with messages (laughs) (laughs) exactly (laughs) you know and so like they know they get it they're in on all their own jokes and I guess as a consumer of satire Satire is not satire unless the person making the satire is understands the fullness of all the jokes they're making and how it would also apply to them. Which parts of the thing that I'm satirizing, I'm actually also sometimes guilty of and making sure that I also throw myself in there for that. Yeah, like the, the beauty of South Park is the layers. The messaging is layered. Uh, let's take the Go God Go episode, for example. They're making fun of religion when they're talking about evolution and they and they go into this rant about it but then they're also making fun of atheism and then there's messaging in that episode where it's where there's this old old wise guy or old wise otter and he gets up and he's like you know maybe some people need to believe in in a god and you know maybe that that's helpful for them and and the other the atheist otters are like kill the old wise kill one kill the wise one <laughs> kill the wise one yeah. right like they're they 
that's what I love love about South Park. However crude it is, however you know in your face it is, however, it is all those things. Yeah, and it's <laughs> it's there's it's great because it does all that, but it's smart and it understands that making fun of things doesn't mean those things don't have value. Of course. So I kind of have a few little actual from the episodes points that I thought, oh my gosh, yes. <laughs> so Kyle is a realist. In the Chin Pokemon episode, his parents keep buying him toys that aren't Chin Pokemons because they're like, well, you know, you can't just want, if you just get what everybody else gets, that's just a fad, Kyle. And no one, you shouldn't just base your worth on what other kids have. And Kyle's like, okay, well, that's nice, mom and dad, but you don't get it. I'm in grade three (laughs) at school. School is hard and kids are mean. (laughs) Figure it out, mom and dad. You're right. In a perfect world, I could just have different toys and no one care. In the real world, I'm going to get teased and bullied, and I don't want that, so get me the same goddamn toy as everyone (laughs) else. And there's another in Cartman land where he's sitting there just appalled by the fact that he's like, God, why are you letting Cartman have all these amazing things? He has his own amusement park, and then he gets a hemorrhoid. And like slowly, the the kid is despairing because he's like, there, there, there can't be a god. Nothing good in this world. Look at what all these great things are happening to this evil person. And like, I try to be good, and I try to learn lessons, and and my life is falling apart. And I have this hemorrhoid, and then and now it's infected because I was trying to get into the park and it got stabbed by the fence, right? And he's lying there and seeing all of these things. And then his parents walk in, and he's like, "I don't believe in God anymore. I renounce my faith." And his parents are like horrified. They're like, "No, we can't have our son like not believe anymore," and. And they come in and they tell him the story of Job. And I think it's a it's a great South Park moment where they're like, so yeah, you know, God and Satan made this bet. And so God killed all of Job's family and he killed and he destroyed all his like. Kill. And Kyle says, why would God do such a terrible <laughs> thing to Job just to prove a point? <laughs> yeah, it's like he's he, he's a realist. He's a total realist. There's not a lot of like he's not thinking in metaphors here. Yeah, and so like the tension there, especially between Kyle and his parents, is that Kyle's parents, they definitely have romanticized and idealized the world. So they're in the Chin Pokemon, his parents are like, well, you know what, but you need to be the leader who makes other kids understand that it's okay to be different. And Kyle's like, to the extent that Kyle could understand this, he's like, that's a nice sentiment. <laughs> it's yeah. not reality. And you are not helping me <laughs> i need, I need by, to live in reality by yeah. by having your ideals in this situation but foisting them on me in my scenario you're not helping me and that was that's interesting that's a really hard question because as parents how do you try to inculcate ideals into the society without making your kid a guinea pig like a social experiment in just having your kid be so outside the schoolyard overton window scenario but they don't get to choose that like this is such an interesting gray area of choice when it comes to kids and parents because obviously parents are the caretakers and they should be like that's what's the right thing that it's both nature and social but i just was like if i mean it's a silly version of it because kyle wants a chin pokemon and and, you know you gotta catch him out and poke him out but his parents won't do that because they think he needs to be different. But Kyle is like, well, 
I don't know if I need to be different because I don't like getting teased all the time. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So finding that balance of like, okay, like actually sticking to your principles, but not making your life a living hell for your kid. Because the thing is, when you have kids, and here, you know, I don't have kids, but you become responsible for another person, but you don't actually get to have their experiences. Only they do. And like figuring out how to best set a kid up to succeed in a world that is not <laughs> what our romanticizations or ideals would be is like, this is a hard conversation. Well, and I Kyle's parents don't want to have that conversation. They no, just want to gloss over it and say, they just want to go with their values and say, this is how you should live. So like, I'm not saying there's like a one way right or not in that scenario, but it, it's really interesting. Like, I don't know what I'm going to do one day when I have kids and I'm like, well, I think you should be like this, but I also realize if you are like this, you're probably going to have a harder time and like picking which things to insist on and maybe which things to let slide is like the negotiation of life. Well, I think like that's if you're a good parent and, and I think most people are finding a way to kind of walk that tightrope is very difficult. And not only that, you're going to mess up your kids. Every single parent has messed up their kid in some way. That's one of my favorite movies is uh, Before Sunrise. There's, well, the Before Sunrise, Before Sunset, Before Midnight trilogy. And there's a line in it where where they say every or every parent fucks up their kid. It's just how much and how. And you're going you're gonna to do that. And so then Stan, if so, if Kyle is our realist, I think Stan is a good. Stan's a good skeptic. He's a good skeptic. So in the in the Cherokee hair tampons episode, where um, it's actually a really great cameo by Cheech and Chong, they are from Mexico, but they pretend to be Native Americans selling organic and traditional medicines <laughs> to unsuspecting new age types i mean the the lady who runs the new age shop in this episode her name is miss information <laughs> and so that's kind of she's, on the nose <laughs> she's kind of like it's a the entire thing is a satire on alternative medicine or new age medicine or and like the gullibility of people just like wholeheartedly swallowing ideas like homeopathy or chakras or phrenology or whatever crystals. right yeah crystals exactly and so Cheech and Chong's characters pretend to be Native American and they even have um so where the name of the episode comes from they have a braid and they say it's a tampon made from Cherokee hair (laughs) which is the traditional (laughs) and it's just from horses (laughs) (laughs) yeah Uh, but so then there's a number of episodes where or uh, sorry a, a, a few scenes in the episode where Stan and his mom are in Misinformation's shop and uh Misinformation is telling Stan's mom about all the toxins that they need to flush out of their body and of course Stan's question is what do toxins look like right <laughs> yeah. like he's not just swallowing her story like he's asking Socratic slash scientific method type questions right so skeptical logical and rational and this is like a really positive thing in children that needs to be encouraged I think a moment on my soapbox when with kids the ability to give them so much patience to answer their questions is so crucial. A, it shows you're willing to listen to them, and that goes such a long way with them. And the attitude of curiosity that so many kids have 
is so easily quashed by adults in their life who don't have time, aren't interested, or just don't know. But it's hard, I guess, for, I guess it's often hard to admit I don't know <laughs> to a kid. So when, you know, in the episode when Stan asks, what do toxins look like? All that he gets it from his mom is, oh, stop bothering the nice lady. Like, how dare you insult her enterprise <laughs> here yeah, by her, asking or her wisdom at, on this yeah, particular or, front. Or her like yeah her clairvoyance right mm, in mm. in all things spiritual and new agey whereas what could be a more legitimate question than that if you're telling me that you can flush my toxins well what the hell are they and what are you talking about yeah yeah <laughs> right? exactly like stan is the only one who's asking a reasonable question there's all these parents in this room or in the shop, and they're all hoodwinked by this lady. And I think part of it is that they just don't want to like be offensive to her. But Stan, well, probably is like, another part of it is that they're actually hoodwinked. They actually like, oh, they want to, yeah. I well, they want to, to get, believe, right? Well, yeah, you want to believe that there's a way to get rid of your toxins. But maybe. Stan is the one who says, "What do they look like?" And then a little bit later on, when Cheech and Chong characters are there, Stan asks them, "Well, why is your medicine any good? Like, what makes these Cherokee hair tampons work?" As opposed, he doesn't ask about this, but it's like there are regular tampons. Why are you using Cherokee hair tampons, right? And um, then Stan's mom kind of goes on to this like diatribe about like Stan, you can't ask these questions. The Native Americans had their land taken from them, and they were abused by white people, and that's terrible. And we can't do that and like obviously all true things right but it should yeah this is the thing but then stan says and that has something to do with their medicine because (laughs) right like he understands that well science is science right like it's like especially medical science the um your dna or your bio your biological reaction (laughs) to antibiotics or medicine is not contingent on past historical injustices from one group of person to another right like it's such an easy gap of logic but i think you know and especially the hang-up of tragedies in history perpetrated of by certain groups of people on other groups of people very much appropriately remembered and talked about and figured out how to make sure these kind of things don't ever happen again in history yes that is the domain that doesn't give license though to having things enter into completely different disciplines like medical science if there is an interesting <laughs> if there's something uh, medically salient about Cherokee hair tampons that can be studied <laughs> yeah <laughs> right? we, we, we can find out like, like it's not it, it, basically the point is you don't ever need to take things on faith that especially about medicine right because these are that's just not how it works yeah and, if, you, and even, if you've ever enjoyed having an illness treated by modern medicine, I'd say you have to be on board with it. Yeah, and, I, and Stan is was on board showing with it. these yeah, things. He's on right? board like with he's it. he's the one asking the law. He's kind of like the stoic, would you say? Like, yeah. uh, he's he's the scientist of the group. Well, not not literally, but he he's thinking of things. If if Cartman is like raw ego and and selfishness. And Butters is kind of ignorance and good-heartedness. And Kyle is... The guy who gets the most rises out of Cartman. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he's, he's the foil to Cartman. Then, he's a realist. Yeah, yeah, the realist. He's the... Uh, he's the This is the way that the world works. Then, then Stan is kind of the contemplative. And, and you see this throughout the episodes. He doesn't have the most lines. He's almost never the funniest. 
he's very much the observer yeah. of everything that's going on. He's kind of the clue. And Kyle's more of a participant even than Stan is. But And then Stan has Randy as a dad, so who knows what that does to you. <laughs> well, yeah, but Stan is always kind of – one of Stan's fallbacks with Kyle is like – because Kyle is off, often getting really emotionally charged by Cartman's antics. And Stan is the one saying always to Kyle, like, man, you know what he's like. Why do you let him get you like this? Like, you're not, you should never, ever be surprised by all the terrible things Cartman does. <laughs> you know exactly who Cartman is, yeah. Um, let's see, a couple fun lines. Stan, in the Good Times with Weapons episode, people don't care about violence if sex stuff is involved. <laughs> so he's, you know, the hypocrisies of his own culture are yeah. becoming apparent to him. In the Go, God, Go episode, Stan says, couldn't evolution be the answer to how and not the answer to why? So there's that contemplative nature that you talked about. The in- so he's got all the best questions. I'll yeah. say Stan has- asks the best Absolutely. questions in South Park, Absolutely, completely right? agree. Uh, Often he'll an- ask the question, and and there's this interplay, because he'll ask the question, and Kyle will kind of give their answer, right, yeah. throughout <laughs> the episodes. And I kind of I like that interplay. Yeah. In the Go, God, Go episode again, when... The time child, Cartman, at one point does call uh, Kyle, right? Yeah. And he's like, Kyle? Kyle? I'm in the future, and I need your help. And there's just, it goes back to Kyle, and he's just got the best look on his face where he's totally replicating the audience's, like, come on, man. Yeah. <laughs> he's always like, he's just, like, so bored and, like, I'm hanging up now. <laughs> and then, and then, and then, of course, Cartman makes him miss his ride, and he's, like, really pissed. And this is the Cartman-Kyle relationship always. Kyle and Stan really care about each other in Imagination Land when Stan is stuck there and he stands to be bombed because the United States government is going to nuke the imagination to make sure the terrorists can't get out. Um, Stan's in trouble. I I just love the nuance of how terrorism uses imagination as their biggest weapon because they're not, yeah, they're not going to win a war. Well, well thought. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. (laughs) So, and then Kyle is again, the mouthpiece of, well, Matt Stone, but also both of them where um, in Imagination Land, he says, I think they're real. And Luke Skywalker affected the world more than any yeah. most yes, real yes. people. Uh, he's imaginary, but he's more real than any of us because he'll outlive all of us. And so Kyle is re- recognizing our connection to imagination and, and how, the importance of stories. Yeah. And this is like something that, that happens a lot is this understanding through in, in South Park that how we tell stories and what we and the stories that we tell are some of the most influential and important things in society argue I would argue the most important and one of the things I love about South Park which it does with all these characters is it asks us to ask questions about the stories that we might just assume are true yeah and what what it is about them that we consider to be true you know what Luke Skywalker represents, not what he actually, what role he plays in the actual narrative of Star Wars, but the imagination that he evokes in burgeoning minds kind of thing. And so, you know, probably. (laughs) Again, from that scene, there's that great line where Stan says, a lot of these characters mean more to me than anyone in this room. (laughs) And it's the, the characters have had more influence on him as a person than strangers in his life or even i mean to a degree some of his friends yeah and then i think probably why i love kyle the most is how he he's really the only character that 
consistently calls Cartman out on his shit. Yes. Right? Yes. yes. So in the Coon versus Coon and Friends episode, Cartman comes back and he's all really angry and he's like, you know, but like he's pretending. He's like, I want to be here. Like, come on, take me. What What should I do, guys? What should I do? And he's like, he's, I can't remember exactly what it is, but he's done something to really fuck over his friends, right? Like they're, they have no reason to like him at all at this point. And so rather like, you know, maybe we take Carmen back, but Kyle's just like, you can fuck off. That's what you can do. <laughs> and so it's just like, it's so to the point and so clear. And again, like the emotional catharsis that I get from from seeing Cartman get his comeuppance is mostly from done Kyle. through Kyle, yeah, right? True. And and so <laughs> they know that it's emotion. It's more emotionally satisfying to see Cartman lose after all of his terrible oh than win for sure, yeah. And so and Kyle is generally the one who's the most antagonistic towards Cartman. So I cheer for him in that sense. Stan in the breast cancer episode um, when Wendy's going to fight Cartman. Stan, like a couple pe- guys come up like, ooh, your girlfriend's going to fight Carmen. What do you think about that? And he says, you know what? She's her own person. She can do whatever she wants. I'm staying out of it, you know? And so there's like a maturity there of not being overbearing or like not fighting other people's battles unless they ask you to get involved. And I liked that thing about Stan and his wisdom. And it, there's something so funny Stan says to the end because at the end of that episode when Cartman just has gotten his ass kicked by Wendy right and he's like bleeding and on the ground crying and he's like oh I just didn't want you guys to think that I wasn't cool <laughs> and now you're gonna think I'm not cool and Stan says Carmen, we never thought you were cool <laughs> our opinion <laughs> of you couldn't be any lower yeah <laughs> and Carmen says but you're just saying that to make me feel better. <laughs> so it's like a perfect encapsulation yeah. of the honesty of Stan and the obliviousness of Cartman all in one moment. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So uh, with Stan and Kyle again representing the perspective of Trey Parker and Matt Stone, my kind of like epitaph on South Park character wise and presentation wise. So we're going to do another episode on the commentary and the humor. But the show itself, through the mouthpieces of Stan and Kyle, if, this, if, if you watch South Park and you love South Park and you get it and you get the jokes, I think my guess is that it's a show that represents the well-adjusted, non-ideologically possessed, rationally ethical persons when they react to absurdity, insanity, cruelty, and lunacy. And that's the heart of South Park. So the way that Stan and Kyle react to, again, that lunacy, that insanity, that absurdity, and that kind of cruelty is the reaction of the well-adjusted person to all of the crazy things in the world. And so that's why I actually think South Park is an unbelievably sane show about all of the crazinesses (laughs) of the world because it is very much grounded in the Stan and Kyle version of, okay, well, I don't actually, like, I'm pretty much a live and let live type of person. Just don't hurt others. Oh, what are you talking about now? Are you serious? This is what you care about? And that's kind of where a lot of this shows, like, I just think that's the heart of the show, which is why I think it speaks to so many people is that I actually think 
all the loud mouths on the TV and media and internet aside, most people are well-adjusted, not too ideological, willing to live with their neighbors without too much problem kind of thing. And South Park just represents those. That voting block. I couldn't. I couldn't. I couldn't agree more. It's that the silent majority, the actual silent majority, not the one that uh, Trump likes to talk about. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's probably a show that like survives every single controversy, so much so that it becomes a parody of itself. Is because actually most people just love it. Yeah, <laughs> it's hard to get yeah. rid of something most people love. Exactly. Um, thank you for listening. Uh, this has been another episode of Really True Fiction. It's fiction. It's really true. <laughs> Uh, incorporated. Uh, maybe you'll take that out. <laughs> no, that's definitely staying. <laughs> Everything you say can be put in. The internet is forever. <laughs> yeah. Again, thanks for listening. I'm Luke Mason. And I'm David Parker. And we will catch you next time going on down to South Park. I hope you have a self time. <laughs> Bye.